0: Please don't judge me, but this is part of my grade to do an intro.
1: I am not. And going I just to need judge. to know that
0: I hate myself every time I do it. I understand. Okay. 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 <laughs> I'm Katie Hyson and welcome to Your Too Much, the podcast where I ask funny people to get overly honest with me. Today I'm in the booth with Daniel Perea, a comedian and screenwriter among many other talented side projects. <laughs> I first really clicked with Daniel when we were backstage at a live storytelling show and we wound up having like the most honest, dark, but also amusing conversation that I'd had (laughs) in a long time. And I was just really impressed by his straightforwardness about the hardest parts of his life, but also his willingness to laugh at it and still see beauty. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Well put.
0: Wow. Thanks. (laughs) We, um, we're going to talk about something different, but on our way in, you mentioned feeling like it'd be more worthwhile to talk about alcoholism.
1: Yeah. Um, I just feel like I am an alcoholic. I've been sober for two and a half years now. And I sort of feel like when I first got sober, you know, I was in a very kind of dark place as you usually are but I felt afterwards like I wanted to make the whole experience worth something Hmm. and that I wanted to use it to try and inform other people about addiction Mm -hmm. and try to like you know I have bits about alcoholism in my stand-up
0: yeah I Um, love those they're pretty (laughs) uncomfortable and great
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it makes people real uh because they don't know where I'm at with it and honestly like I'm fine at this point like going out to comedy clubs and kind of being around it but the audience doesn't necessarily know that and they also, (laughs) I play up my character that I am on stage. Um,
0: Do you wanna tell just one of your, like give an example of a bit you would do around it?
1: Sure, so one that I do, this is actually a joke that I had written before I was an alcoholic or before I knew but it's strangely informative (laughs) Um, basically I say you know you learn lessons uh, being an alcoholic that you would never learn anywhere else and then I I sorta go uh, you know probably the most important lesson that I learned the one that stuck with me uh, I learned it in treatment it's backed by science so you know it's real Um, technically you're not an alcoholic until it's somebody else's problem. <laughs> <laughs> up until that point, you're just a real fun dude to hang out with, you know?
0: Right. Do you feel like because um, I've watched I've watched the room get tense when you do these bits because, like you were saying, they're not sure where you're at with right. it, which I do think that's where the discomfort is rooted. Do you feel like people in real life do the same thing when you if you bring it up in conversation?
1: Um, It varies. It depends on the person's experience with alcoholism. Um, Sometimes they have family members or they've already kind of dealt with somebody in Mm -hmm. a similar situation. A lot of people, honestly, um, I think that the stigma is starting to lift as people understand more about addiction you know the opioid crisis over the past few years has been worsening uh, I think that there's more of an understanding now that addiction is a disease mm-hmm. it's something that um, is a combination of genetics environment and stress and that it's not necessary it's not a moral failing right. which I think a lot of people um, think when they hear, He's an alcoholic, Mm -hmm. and then it's like, you know, obviously alcoholics do things when they're drunk or high um, that they wouldn't do otherwise, Mm -hmm. and that can cause a lot of damage. And it's not to excuse that behavior to say, oh, well, it was the disease. It wasn't me, you know. But I think for recovering alcoholics, that knowledge goes a long way toward recovery Mm -hmm. and sort of... um, just moving forward with the understanding of, I'm not a bad person. I right. had this problem that got out of hand. Mm-hmm. That's what really helped me.
0: Yeah, because it feels like there shouldn't be, like that tenseness people get, even after someone says the phrase, I'm an alcoholic, and people get a little bit tense. It feels like, why is that there? Like there shouldn't be a a. Stigma, there should be no reason why the other person should get uncomfortable.
1: Well, I think uh, for a lot of people, um, I think like on a subconscious level, or uh, people start kind of comparing their own drinking to yours when you bring it up. Or they'll (laughs) kind of, I've experienced that a lot where people are kind of like, I don't know, like. I go out a lot right. and get drunk so I think that people um hmm. don't don't want to look at those things a lot I of the time. I love that
0: that you do where like so you're doing all these jokes about yourself being an alcoholic and then you casually mention that like a lot of people in the audience right then probably also have a drinking problem <laughs> and you're like pointing out all these people on their like fifth beers and yeah. stuff and
1: Well, you know. it's like The longer you spend going to AA meetings and learning more about recovery, like, I'm certainly not the alcoholic whisperer, (laughs) but I can kind of pick them out. Right. Like, I kind of know what the signs are and what the symptoms are.
0: Could, Could I ask? Like, could you talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um... So a lot of it is um, when somebody's drunk, the way they conduct themselves. With alcoholics, there's sort of this Jekyll and Hyde dynamic where um, there are very extreme mood swings, and the person can be fine one second, and then they drink just a little bit more, and the rug sort of gets pulled out from underneath Mm -hmm. them, and they become... Uh, depressive, angry, violent, you know, people getting into fights when they're drunk. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Because I know, like, you know, you know, everyone, how everyone kind of gets drunk differently. Like some mm -hmm. people are like ecstatic, happy drunks or like overly lovey drunks. Does it can can you be drunk and have like not get angry or violent, but still have a problem?
1: I think so. I personally do think so, and that's kind of like what that bit is exploring. It's like
0: you're just just a fun dude. Yeah, the guy
1: who's the life of the party may, may be as much of an alcoholic as anybody else, but um, without like the consequences of their actions, that guy could potentially just be drinking his entire life, Mm -hmm. and at the rate of an alcoholic, but. Unfortunately, with addiction, it's hard to know for sure until the consequences started hmm. start popping up.
0: Yeah, because I'd always heard it defined where they say like does it get does it? impede your life or get in the Mm -hmm. way of your life or the lives of others like it's about the consequences of it once you
1: start missing work once you start missing like family functions Mm -hmm. where it starts you're not involved in the hobbies that you enjoy Mm -hmm. anymore and that's that's a slow process like it doesn't start that way
0: because it's really normalized like even in tv and movies it's just that Mm -hmm. um Well, you had a wild night, and you're hungover, and look at you living your 20s. Well, it's so
1: encouraged, and, Mm -hmm. you know, from everything, I think the media that we consume, um, I I think it's getting better Mm -hmm. recently, but, you know. um,
0: Have you seen any examples of that? uh,
1: The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix had a really good addiction storyline that was treated very... Uh, In my opinion, it was very true to what the experience is because you see people and they're getting better and they're getting better and then they relapse and there's no kind of like logical A to B Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. reason for it necessarily. A lot of the time you can like trace it back to one or two things, but um, it's a disease and it sort of overpowers the logic that that person may have, the rational thinking, all of that goes out the window because addiction um, is a different part of the brain.
0: Mm. It's in
1: the midbrain. So the midbrain controls things like sex, sleep, um, food, the sort of the base instincts right. that people need for survival. And when somebody mm. gets addicted to something what happens is that drug sort of jumps to the top of the list. So subconsciously, you're associating getting the drug. It becomes a life-or-death thing for that person's brain.
0: Right. How does sobriety work, then?
1: Sobriety is... The idea is that you need to completely abstain Mm -hmm. from the drug um, or the alcohol. I mean, alcohol is a drug, Mm -hmm. but... um, Because your brain needs time to develop new neural pathways. Because like the drug, just your brain gets used to operating with it. And the only Mm -hmm. way that it can get better is through forming these new connections Mm -hmm. and just sort of giving your brain enough time to rewire itself.
0: So it is possible to change that midbrain?
1: Yes. it is possible and but the problem is that you can't use the drug you just mm-hmm. can't there's no um there's no moderate right you you can't you'll never reach the point once you become an alcoholic where you'll be able to regulate your drinking i mean um not in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. An alcoholic is always gonna be thinking about more, even if they're pacing themselves very uh, Mm -hmm. carefully or saying like, oh, I'm only gonna have two beers. It's the obsession that makes it. So if you have two beers, but you're thinking, I really want more, but I know that that would make me have a problem and Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem, you know. It's the obsession of the mind that...
0: um, I'm picturing a lot of people listening Getting like yeah. tense right now. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> that's why I think it's important to talk about it mm-hmm. though, because yeah. people need to know um, the signs, they need to know yeah. um, kind of what to look for, and they need to know um, the impact that it can have.
0: For you, was it gradual or did something trigger it?
1: You know, I look back and certainly my drinking progressed. Uh, more over time. I started drinking around like 17 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Once like a kid's parents would go on vacation and they'd be like everybody let's just go over there and and party but uh, looking back I can see that I was an alcoholic the entire time Hmm. and that like for me pretty much the moment that I started drinking my brain did not have a normal interaction with alcohol.
0: Oh. Cause it is it always pre-wired genetic or it can be
1: both, like um the genetic aspect is certainly very strong. Mm-hmm. Um but it's sort of equally important the um the environment that the person is raised in mm-hmm. if people around them are drinking a lot. What is the cultural attitude toward drinking right. and then the third component which is crucial is stress if you mm-hmm. put enough stress on an addict um, they will develop a problem
0: because you had mentioned we were talking before like you had moved out to LA mm-hmm. and that was a more stressful environment. oh yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> well you know I was trying to get involved in the film industry yeah which uh, has a lot of very creative uh, sensitive Mm-hmm. people and um I'm not entirely sure what I think it's it's the sensory like people who are more creative tend to have addiction problems and you mm-hmm. hear it from you know Robert Downey Jr. or you know incidents like uh Jim Morrison or Kirk Cobain uh where people have died um There's some sort of link between creativity and addiction, and I think it has to do a lot with sort of the sensory stimulation Mm -hmm. that you use in your creative work. Um, You know, drugs are very powerful, Mm -hmm. and so... um,
0: Did it shape what you made during that time?
1: I think it was, yeah. I don't think I was uh, aware of it at the time. I was working on this project that dealt with a character sort of slowly devolving into madness (laughs) and at first I thought what I was making was um, sort of an allegory for depression or mental illness. Um, But more I can see now that um, it was actually about addiction Mm -hmm. and that subconsciously my brain was trying to work its way through um, this -hmm. problem that I had.
0: That's so interesting. When did you become consciously aware of it?
1: Um, You know, I ran from it for a long time. Mm -hmm. For a long time I was like, I don't want to think about it or, you know, it's not a problem. Um, justifying it. Yeah, yes. And that's what starts to happen um, much more when people, when the addiction is getting worse, it's it's the justification, you know? Mm-hmm. All my friends do it at the same rate, or, or if you had the father that I had, like, right. you would drink as much as I do. <laughs> um, you kind of surround yourself with people who are going at the same rate as you yeah. because you don't want to feel like it's a problem. Um, I became consciously aware of it. Uh, I was in LA and I went to go visit my friend in Manhattan Beach and we got a few drinks and then we wanted to keep going. So we went to the supermarket and this friend uh, is a functional alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Like uh, he drinks frequently but just hasn't had the kind of uh, consequences that somebody would need to stop mm-hmm. so he's maintaining um, but we you know got a bottle of whiskey and we were just like on the side of the road slugging it back and um, I decided to try to drive home and I put myself in an extremely uh, dangerous position my car uh, was almost totaled wow. and one of the tires blew out, and I was driving on the rim by the time the cops pulled me over. Um,
0: wow, the timing of that is crazy. like it, if the tire hadn't blown out, would you have just continued home
1: and not? I was trying <laughs> yeah i I remember, you know, once you're you're in a blackout state, and there are mm-hmm. little uh little memories that you have. After, it kind of felt like my brain kind of came back online when I was hearing this crunching noise coming from Mm -hmm. my car. And I didn't know what it was, but I was sort of just trying to um, power my way through it. And I was stopped by the police, and um, I mean, I gave them everything that they needed. to. uh, It was very obvious that I was drunk, and um, I got arrested for drunk driving and that was the beginning of me understanding or not even I knew before that but I was starting to have to confront it Mm -hmm. because it was getting to the point where now there were kind of more serious consequences Um, and the way that I justify it so I tried to go I I said I need to stop drinking, like I need to take a break. Hmm. At that point I wasn't, I still wasn't saying to myself I'm an alcoholic. I just said I drink too much and I need to take a break. Mm -hmm. And I thought six months, sounded good that Mm -hmm. sounded like an amount of time where if I don't drink for this amount of time and I prove that I can do it then I'm not an alcoholic and I don't have a problem Mm -hmm. um I lasted two weeks Mm -hmm. and then um went immediately back and the way that I justified that was sort of by talking to friends and you know hearing what I wanted to hear basically which was Mm -hmm. Um, that lots of people get DUIs, and not all of them are alcoholics. It's more just like, I'm young, and I'm just screwing around. Right. And, um, and that sounded very appealing to me. So one night I was just hanging out with my friends. I was trying to do the sober thing. Um, but I ended up with a glass of whiskey in my hand and mm. just back to the races.
0: I imagine it'd be so hard, like, if your friend group and the people you're around are drinking around you.
1: It is, yeah. Um, I don't put myself in those kinds of situations as much anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, the comedy club, my, like, if I'm going to go somewhere where there's a lot of drinking Mm -hmm. or drugging uh, going on, I kind of feel like I need to have a good reason to be there. Right. Beyond, like, just partying and having fun. Like a stand-up set. Yeah. Like, you know, it's different if I'm there for, like, networking or if I'm there to just do my stand-up. Mm-hmm. Um, But I'm not going to go to the bar just to sort of uh, feed off the vibes of the people right. who are uh, getting drunk. I don't... um the appeal isn't there for me to have conversations Mm -hmm. with people who are very drunk while I'm sober. (laughs) Right,
0: (laughs) yes. Um, You said that, because at the time when you did this first attempt at being sober, you didn't call yourself an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So what was the turning point?
1: Well, um, my health was getting a lot worse. Uh, It was slowly just deteriorating, and... I was feeling a lot of stress from working on this script and uh, my housing situation had fallen through so I was crashing on friends' couches and mm. I reached the point once we finished the script that I was working on and turned it in where I said to myself, I need to go home. Um,
0: to Gainesville. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, back here. Because I didn't know what else to do. and. Um, lots of addicts and alcoholics, it's a good way to, uh, justify things is it's the place, it's the place that's doing it. Like it's, it's LA, LA is bringing out the worst in me. So if I move out of LA, Mm. I'm not going to have that problem. And, um, that's dangerous thinking because my addiction followed me Mm -hmm. back to Gainesville, Um, When I got here, I felt like I couldn't cut it in L.A., that it was my fault that things sort of Mm -hmm. fell apart. I was putting a lot of pressure on myself, and uh, the drinking got worse when I got to Gainesville. Mm -hmm. It got a lot worse because I felt like I had failed. Yeah. And, um, you know, I still have some high school friends around here. I grew up here, so I know people, and we would just get wasted Mm -hmm. and um, before long it was Halloween of 2016 and I tried to drive again. Um, Drunk driving is something that I would just consistently do um, because I love driving Mm -hmm. and I love drinking. (laughs) So put them together and you got yourself a Mm -hmm. real combo. Um, but that was something that I kept going back to and, um, I ended up getting pulled over again and, uh, I got arrested a second time for Mm -hmm. drunken driving and between those two actually, there was an incident where, again, I was drunk driving, but, uh, the cop just gave me a reckless. It should have been a full DUI. Um, I have been arrested for drunk driving three times. Mm -hmm. And all of those three incidents happened within one year. Mm. That is pretty, that's a pretty clear indication of this being a problem.
0: Because if you had any control over it or any presence of mind to make a clear choice after the first time, it's not like you would have.
1: Yeah. I remember the first time that I drove drunk after getting arrested for drunk driving. I just looked at myself in the mirror and I said, what is wrong with you? Mm -hmm. What is, like, this is the thing that you know will just screw up your life. Like, how could you do this again? We've already been arrested for this. Mm -hmm. And um, it's it's insanity. It's just you're not in the state of mind to be able to make good decisions.
0: Right. I almost feel like your choice of pronoun there is, um, accurate where it's like, we, like, we did this again because it, it, yeah, it does feel like there's, it's another person when you're drunk.
1: Yeah. It feels like, um, my addiction almost has a mind of its own Mm -hmm. and that's something that gets better over time, but it's something that's still there after Mm -hmm. you get sober. Uh, they say in, AA meetings, your addiction's in the parking lot doing push-ups while you're sober, so it's waiting to find a way to get what it wants. I almost view it as like a chess match, you know, where my brain, uh, if I don't go to AA meetings, if I don't Mm. meditate, if I don't take care of myself, Mm -hmm. if um, it just opens more opportunities for me to just say screw it.
0: Right yeah. after the third, after the third one, is that when you got into AA? Yes. And they make you say it.
1: They do. Yeah. yeah. Um, you say my name is Dan. I'm an alcoholic. Um, some people aren't ready to get to that point. They'll say just visiting, mm-hmm. um, or you know, here for support. But for me, it was important to say it. Yeah. It was really important for me to just say I'm an alcoholic. So that I could find a way to move forward after Mm -hmm. that. I was just tired of uh, running. I was tired of lying to the people in my family, to myself, about Mm -hmm. the nature of my problem. And um, admitting to myself that I was an alcoholic was the most freeing thing Hmm. that I ever did.
0: That's interesting. Did you go through the spiritual component of it where you have to... like? Describe what you're got. Yeah, the higher yeah. power.
1: Um, that's a part that a lot of people kind of get hung up on. Um,
0: like they don't want to do the program because they don't want to do that stuff?
1: Because it's viewed as sort of a, a religious cult
0: Like manipulative. Kind
1: of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the trick is, um, and I have a sponsor who's very intelligent. He's a biologist. He's been sober for 18 years he's a man of science and Mm -hmm. fact and he prays Hmm. he prays in the morning because uh for him prayer is about mindfulness it's about acknowledging and explicitly stating what you actually want Hmm. and what you're wishing for and it sort of then sets your your mind to accomplish that Hmm. um when it got to the higher power aspect, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in um, a conscious God that's mm-hmm. watching over what we do and making uh, arbitrary moral judgments, <laughs> you know? Like, um, I would imagine that if there were a God, its moral standards would not look like humans
0: yeah (laughs) yeah i agree with that
1: (laughs) so i think whatever's actually going on is is far more complex Mm -hmm. and i believe in a general spirit of the universe Mm -hmm. where we're all connected to one another and the energy that we put out has ripple effects and um that's more what I was able to tap into when it came to the question of a higher power. Um, really, what the higher power step is about is just admitting that you are not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. That there are things outside of yourself that are sort of worth protecting,
0: and kind of that acknowledgement if you're not in control. You're not in control of everything. Right.
1: You need to to yield the idea that. Oh, I can fix this, or like, oh, it's, you know, reaching out for help or admitting, you know, I can't do this on my own is something that addicts have a terrible time with. I, you know, still struggle with that. I try to fix all the problems that pop up (laughs) in my life because, you know, because you don't want to feel the pain of things not working out the way you want them to.
0: Now I'm tensing up like one of the audience people. I'm like, uh-oh, this is getting too close.
1: Well, it's all it's all normal stuff, you know. Yeah. Like addicts aren't the only people who um, have issues with control.
0: And not not to cheapen the word, you know, because addiction is very real, and not to cheapen that term. But I think everyone struggles with like addictive tendencies or coping yeah. mechanisms or things they use to feel better to, to avoid the pain for and to sure not look at it
1: and you know that's something that I definitely eventually want to get into with my creative work with my stand-up the idea that um the world is addicted the world is addicted mm-hmm. to technology the world is addicted to religion to having bigger TVs to having better especially mm-hmm. in America um consumerism right feels like addiction
0: <laughs> I love. I can't wait to watch you turn that into jokes and like.
1: <laughs> <are>. <laughs> yeah, cuz it's it's not funny when you <laughs> say it that way. No,
0: but I mean, I mean, you know, like we've connected over this before, but that's like I am obsessed with that overlap of like the darkest parts where that overlaps with like humor but also beauty and like that yeah. overlap. Um, And you're particularly, not to make you feel awkward, but you're particularly good at that. So I was saying that half-jokingly about like, yeah, I can't wait to hear you make a joke about that. But I also like, I can't wait to hear you make a joke about
1: that. Yeah, you know, it's, (laughs) I want to be able to use my experience to contribute to the conversation. Mm -hmm. That's really important to me because I feel like that's what I can offer, yeah. I think for a lot of creative people there's this struggle early on of, you know, am I doing something that's inherently selfish by pursuing
0: right. yeah.
1: art is this something that's tied up in my ego? Is that why <laughs> I'm doing this? I know I have I, can't that sense. I can't relate. I can't relate. But um, um go what would ahead. you
0: I guess what would you say to someone who might be listening who is having that antsy feeling and is like, mm, mm-hmm. like I feel like I'm relating to this, but I don't want to deal with it like what would you say to that person?
1: I would say to that person, Let's see,
0: not to make this all like Oprah something no
1: no but. i I think it's um talk to people, you know, talk to people about what's happening in your life, um, communicate. Because isolation ultimately is what takes a number of addicts and alcoholics out. Mm -hmm. It's what, um, you know, when you're isolating and you're just wrapped up in your own thoughts, it's very easy for things to get um, dark. So communicating with people, telling them, like, hey, you know, I... Drank this much, or like, Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure. It's a hard thing to do. You know, it's a hard thing Mm -hmm. to admit, but it's important. Yeah. And, um, you know, I tell my friends that come up to me and say, you know, I think I might be this, I I tell them um, that if they feel like they can't stop, and they feel like they need to, then I can take them to a meeting. Or I can, and it's not the kind of thing where it's like, you know, you need to stop. Like, if you tell an addict that they need to stop, forget it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're not going to hear you.
0: So people come to you now because you've been open about it. Mm -hmm. And so in their head when they're like, oh, who should I talk to? Daniel Perea.
1: Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I think so.
0: I feel like everyone has someone in their life that they love who Mm -hmm. is either an alcoholic or has some other kind of addiction. What's the most helpful thing? Because I feel like there's a lot of very unhelpful things that people do. Yes. What's the best way that someone has shown up for you?
1: Well, I'm lucky. I had a lot of support just from my family, family, from friends that i had in the area i'm i'm blessed with a um a support system that a lot of people uh don't have Mm -hmm. i think the my mother um dealt with this with my brother because he's also an alcoholic Mm -hmm. and with me and i think for a while she blamed herself blamed her Parenting hmm. techniques, and I kept insisting to her. Um, I told her, Mom, it, it has nothing to do with you. Mm-hmm. And um, she's a clinical psychologist, and she went <laughs> <Jesus>. to. Right. <laughs> so this whole picture starting to kind of <laughs> come together and crystallize. Um, she went to a number of different addiction conferences where experts in the field were talking about the science of it, um, how it works in the brain. She, she went
0: to try to figure it out, to do something?
1: Well, not necessarily to do something, but just to um, to understand more. And that level, I always really appreciated that mm. because that level of trying to... Um, understand why a loved one is doing these things instead of saying oh well you know right they're just going to do it she really wanted to know um what was happening and we sort of simultaneously learned I because I was in treatment Mm -hmm. um and we sort of at the same time we learned oh you know it's the midbrain getting hijacked and All of these things, and that really helped us afterwards to avoid, um, you know, her saying you screwed everything up or saying, you know, blaming, um, placing blame. Mm -hmm. You know, it, we avoided that. She, early on, I mean, she was mad, (laughs) right? Believe me, but, um, I do think that she understood that, um, that I was not operating correctly, that I just couldn't um make better decisions at the time, yeah,
0: I feel like a lot of the unhelpful stuff comes when people try to fix, and they without trying to understand
1: you can't right you know, you, a you can't fix it right it's not something that you can fix, mm-hmm. even. Uh, With years of sobriety, it's in Mm -hmm. the back of your mind. It's trying to figure out, you know, there are guys who go nine, ten years without drinking and then boom. They just, something sets them off and they end up going back to it. Um,
0: Are you scared of that? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I am. I uh, I don't know what set of circumstances would lead to me drinking again. Hopefully none knock on wood. Um, but yeah, you know, I do think about the possibility that I may relapse, and I talk to my parents about it. I talk to the people who are close in my life about it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just want them to be prepared in mm. in the worst case
0: when you think about the future like if you what would be your highest hope like given the reality of like it's not going to be cured you won't not be an alcoholic mm-hmm. when you what are you working towards i guess for what your life will look like or what it can be
1: um i look for you know the alcohol is a a symptom of a deeper um illness and It involves a lot of, uh, in the program we say, restless, irritable, and discontent. This feeling of, um, you know, squirreliness, or, uh, you know, I'm not getting what I need, or I'm afraid I'm going to lose something that I need. Wow.
0: Well, that's relatable.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) And my hope moving forward is that um, I really internalize, and I understand this on an intellectual level, but really internalizing the meaning of something is different. And um, I really want to be able to just have uh, peace and serenity when it comes to accepting the hardships in my life.
0: Accepting the things you cannot change. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Is there anything that you wish I asked that I didn't or anything you'd want to clarify?
1: Hmm. Um, I would just say to anybody who's listening to this who either knows that they have an addiction problem and don't want to reach out for help that, um, you know, it's tough. It's the hardest thing that an addict will ever have to do to accept the fact that they're an addict that is a very very hard step to take but it's important and it is doable and your life gets a lot better once you stop you know i went to israel last year mm-hmm. i uh get to do stand up mm-hmm. every week it can be fun <laughs> it's not you don't have to just Walk around looking at other people drinking, going, right. "Oh, you your know. only
0: activity isn't isn't just not drinking."
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I get to go on stage and make stupid jokes <laughs> and kind of use my experience to make people laugh, mm-hmm. and that to me is like the greatest gift. Your life becomes um, there are moments in your life mm-hmm. that you do not get to experience in addiction that in sobriety, you get to. You know, I just went to Washington, D.C., and I saw my grandfather, who is 93 years old. Mm -hmm. He has dementia. I hadn't seen him or my grandmother in about, um, probably around five to 10 years, somewhere in that Mm -hmm. area. It had been such a long time, and I got to uh, say goodbye to my grandpa because I think that is going to be the last time that I see him. Mm-hmm. And I got to reconnect with my grandmother. And those are the kinds of things that I would not have put priority on if I were still drinking. And I would have missed um, a really important moment in my life, mm-hmm. which is the ability to you know, say goodbye. You miss things like that. When you're in addiction and Mm -hmm. your life kind of passes you by, even if you're not getting arrested or have you know wives leaving you or children that Mm -hmm. resent you, it's just you don't become the kind of person that you can be.
0: I think I'm about to tear up. I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, and as you know, I don't I don't know you very well, but one of the perks of it being a while since we last talked is that I'm, like, every time I bump into you, I notice just, like, a drastic difference. <laughs> like, oh, really? Yeah, like, you seem you seem lighter. You seem more... Um, I don't know if positive is the right word because I, I don't mean that in, like, a pop positivity mm-hmm. kind of way. But, um, yeah, just, like, that life spark you're talking oh, about. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, you know, like... Even if you're an active addiction, the light of who you are is still in there. And it just it gets yeah. covered up. And sobriety is all about just dusting it off and finding out who you are without the drugs and alcohol and learning how to love that part and take care of it.
0: That was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard. And I can't think of a better note to end on than that.
1: (laughs) All right. Um, Well, thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for your honesty. And thanks for
1: coming.